0: So in our series, we've established uh, in week one that we are created bodies, we are created in God's image. We are, last week we highlighted broken bodies. It doesn't negate the fact that we are in God's image, it's just sharing with us the truth of the God's word, that we are also broken. And so this week we want to highlight that we are redeemed bodies. Um, but before we get there, let's, let's just talk about how we deal with the brokenness. So as Diana's song highlighted so well, I think the imagery is really helpful. We are broken pieces. And so last week we talked about how you could imagine we're like a, a statue on a shelf that has fallen and broken to pieces. Well, what society does, what our friends do, and what you and I honestly do many times as well, is we try to put our pieces back together ourselves. We say, you know what? I am broken and I can fix it. And we do that, and I think in three different ways primarily. We do it physically, we do it mentally, and we do it spiritually. So physically, I think you can see that in in our health, like we pursue health, we uh, pursue uh, medicine, we pursue science, we go to the gym, we do our best to physically deal with the brokenness, right? All those things are good things that we do. I don't mean to imply they're bad, but sometimes it's like we're trying to put a band-aid over a broken bone, and sometimes we can think to ourselves, if I work hard enough, if I eat healthy enough, and if science and technology continue to progress, then maybe, maybe the brokenness can be resolved physically. But I just think it's a band-aid over a broken bone. That's, that's not how we fix the brokenness. It's not through physical efforts. It's, some people would say, right, it's mental, it's mental. We can't fix the physical, but, but mentally we can overcome through the power of positive thinking, through psychology, through mental health, through, through really good things that we should pursue. Mental health is very important. But again, we have to say like one can achieve mental health and still experience the brokenness, right? We, we sometimes we put band-aids over deeper wounds as we try to pick up the broken pieces of our lives physically or mentally. But they say like, of course you shouldn't do it physically or mentally, you should do it spiritually, so they're like, okay, yes, the solution is spiritual. And so I, this last week, Caroline was working in the evening and I had an evening to watch whatever I want to watch on TV. And so for me, uh, and you know, for better or for worse, I like David Letterman. And I like David Letterman even more now that he has the big white beard. Um, he's not on late night TV anymore. Now Netflix has given him a series and he sits down with uh, celebrities and he interviews them. And I like to watch it. So he's interviewing Will Smith. Will Smith before the infamous uh, Oscar slap. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. So Will Smith is sitting across from David Letterman and he's talking about his life and all that he's gone through. And he's talking, he says, you know, years ago, I was at the pinnacle of my career. I was the biggest Hollywood movie star there was. I was getting the biggest paychecks, the biggest fame. I had a family, I had wealth, I had celebrity, I had it all. And he said, everything lost its luster. And I would sign up for the next blockbuster because I thought that would bring the luster back. And he's like, and it wasn't there. And to quote him, he says, Well, actually, I want to quote David because David Letterman says, You know what? I think that could have been. It could be that you're carrying some wounds from your childhood. I thought that was noteworthy because I think what David was saying is, Oh, we can, we can fix you, Will mentally, right? If we can tap into some memories from your childhood, then then we can fix the brokenness. And Will Smith said, oh, no, I don't think so, David. I think it's every human being on the face of the earth has to go on a journey and realize that the material world is totally incapable of maintaining our happiness. So I sit up on the couch at that point. I'm like, all right, Will Smith is in the zone here. He says, and I wrote it down so I could quote him, The material world is totally incapable of maintaining our happiness. Now, David says, well, yeah, except for, I mean, the material world can bring us happiness as we care for our families, as we work and bring home income and care for our families. And Will Smith says, no, I don't think so, David. I think that's an illusion that you're taking care of your family because I think that we're not in control. I don't think we're in control. I think we have to figure out how to live in this world with the reality that we're not in control and our loved one can die tomorrow. It could die this second. We are not in control, David. We think we're in control, but we're not. And this material world can't satisfy this hunger that's inside of us. And I'm like on the edge of my seat. Will Smith, preach the gospel, bring it. And then Will goes on to say, in my journey, I went down to South America. And I found fulfillment when I took a drug called ayahuasca. And then I'm, what? What? (laughs) This is the lead up? He says, I go down to South America, ayahuasca, I take it, I have hallucinations that are v- similar to reality, and in these hallucinations, I realize that spiritually within me, I have the capacity to overcome anything that could happen. I could lose anybody, I could lose anything, and I have the strength within myself to overcome it, and I have found fulfillment. And I was like, oh my goodness. So we try to fix ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually um, but man, we just are putting band-aids over brokenness that are not going to solve these deepest troubles of our heart. Um, so for all the ways we try to do it, we're just bandying the brokenness. We get the language of brokenness from Genesis chapter 3. We shared that last week. We call that the fall in the Bible. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, we say that's when the fall happened. It just means that the age of innocence was over. They ate the fruit in the garden. They became aware of their own nakedness, and the whole world broke. And so to give an illustration of it, I put my, one of my favorite mugs, I left it out on the back patio one night, and it fell off the patio and broke to a bunch of pieces. And um, Rosie, my daughter, found it and, and put it back together. And um, I said, well, I can use this in my sermon. And she said, well, just make sure everyone knows that I put it together. And I was like, <laughs> if you want credit for this, I will give it to you. Um, I think it's a helpful illustration of what we do when we try to put ourselves back together. Some of us are better with glue than others, though. And some of us might present less broken than others. Some of us are just, it's pretty obvious that we're broken. So maybe we mask it. Maybe some of us do have more peace than others. Maybe some of us were not as broken as others. I don't know. But all of us are trying to put the pieces back together and putting band-aids on things and trying to figure it out physically, mentally, spiritually. But we've gathered here this morning, hopefully because we're intrigued to know what does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about how to deal with the brokenness that is in my body, my soul, my mind? And so I think the answer is, the title of the sermon is We Are Redeemed Bodies. I think that's what God's word speaks to it. We are redeemed bodies. So that word redeemed, that's a church word. It's a religious word. And what it means when you see it on the pages of Scripture is it means that it's to pay a price. When you redeem something, you pay a price. You purchase it. You buy it out. One might even say you pay a ransom for it. And so when we're saying we're a redeemed body, we're saying that God has purchased us. And the language, the, the imagery of Scripture is this, is that there was a big slave market, and up on the auction block are slaves. And this is the picture, is that God, our creator, steps into the slave market... And he knows that he created us, so he owns us. He already owns us, but we've run away from him, haven't we? We ran away like the prodigal son and said, we'll find peace and fulfillment on our own. And we got captured by the slave market of sin. And we stand up here on this slave podium, this uh, auction block, and our Savior walks in the room and he purchases us. He buys us. Now... I understand that slavery is is wrong and it's one of the great evils that exists, so it's sometimes hard to use that in a positive illustration. But the scripture chooses to do so. It calls us slaves to righteousness. It says that we should think of God as our master. And so it's really evil for any human being to own another human being. But it can actually be very good if the God of the universe, your creator who created you and owns you, actually purchases you out of slavery. That's actually can be really good news because he comes in and he purchases you out of the slavery of sin. He brings you home. He puts his robe on you. He puts his ring on your finger. And he adopts you into his family and gives you his identity and he gives you a job to do to reign and rule in his kingdom. So it's beautiful imagery. We are redeemed bodies, but what it means is that we are not our own. And so our passage this morning that highlights this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. We have it on the screens for you. It says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Those are a counter cultural statement, if there ever was one. It goes in direct opposition to how you and I are wired as Americans. Now, it's, it's so prevalent, right? Like, I just have to say one phrase, and you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. My body, my choice. God's word says, you are not your own. Our culture says, my body, my choice. God's word says, no, you are not your own. Now, most of us can spot it when we see the slogan, my body, my choice. Something in us is wired and says, "Like, oh, no, that's wrong. And that's good that we can spot it. But before we build ourselves up into, into some self-righteousness, we should probably all pause and realize that we just paraphrase it and use it all the time anyways. It's prevalent in my heart, and it's gotta be prevalent in your heart. We are, in America, we are hardwired in our American understanding of ourselves for independence, liberty, freedom, autonomy. It's just hardwired into our culture, and those are all good things, and I celebrate them with you on our national holidays. But you have to see the dark side of that is that we are hardwired for independence, autonomy, and freedom, meaning as an American, you can't take away my rights. I have rights. I'll do what I wanna do. You can do what you wanna do, but I'm gonna do what I wanna do, right? If I wanna eat that, I'm gonna eat it. And if I wanna stay up late, I'll stay up late. And who are you to tell me how much sleep that I should get? It's my body, I'll eat what I want to eat. It's my body, I'll sleep when I want to sleep. It's my body, if I want to put a tattoo on it, I'll put a tattoo on it. It's my body, if I want to put in medicine, I'll put in medicine. It's my body, who are you to tell me to do with my body? It's in all of us, right? And it's not, in some sense I understand, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But we have to appreciate the fact that that's how we're hardwired, right? So that when scripture says to us, you are not your own, you're not. So in a certain sense, well, it's, it's not your body. God walked into the, the slave market of sin and he purchased you. And he took you home and now you are his. We all do it. For the rest of our lives, we'll have to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves. That I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. I think a helpful illustration is this, if, if you lent me your car today, so that I could use it this week, your car is your car, it's not mine, it's not my own. And so I'm going to treat it in a special way. I'm not going to hit the fast food. I will tell my kids to put their feet off of the front seat. I will not uh, reset your presets on your radio. I will not adjust um, the, well I guess I can adjust the seat now because you probably have a nice car. And it remembers your setting. Um, I will treat your car special. Why? Because it's not mine. I don't own it. And the scripture says here's a radical idea you are not your own, you were bought with a price. I think this is often skipped over in, in our Christian circles. Oftentimes we just want to say, you know what? God forgives you of your sins, and he has a forever home for you in heaven. Would you like to come and follow Jesus, live in his forever home with you in heaven, forgiven of all of your sins? And people are like, well, that sounds great. But what we really also need to help people understand is that is great, and that is true, but when you come to Jesus, you ought to fall to your knees, and you ought to surrender to him and say, now, from this point forward, my body is yours. I surrender all my rights. I give myself fully to you. Body, mind, soul, spirit. All of me is now yours. Because that's what it means to become a Christian. is total surrender. Your body is not your own. You are bought with a price. The slave market of sin is, is a concept that Jesus even teaches. He says in John chapter 8, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's the words of Jesus. You say, oh, I'm not a slave to sin. Well, Jesus says, anyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. If we continue to you know, work on that metaphor that Scripture gives us of the slave market of sin, you are a redeemed body, you are purchased. And you look at the Roman Empire that was alive and well when, when the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In the Roman Empire, they think maybe as many as a third or at least a fifth of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Meaning that the original audience that was reading 1 Corinthians chapter six knew very well what it was like to be owned by another human being. Now slavery in the Roman Empire was different from the slavery that was in our country. It wasn't based on your skin color. In the Roman Empire, you could become a slave in one of three main ways. You could become a slave by birth. Your parents were slaves. You could become a, a slave by conquest. So the Roman Empire would come in and conquer your people group and take you and now you're a slave. Or thirdly, you could become a slave by debt. You're buried under so much financial debt that there's no way for you to get out of it so you could sell your child or you could sell yourself into slavery so it could be by birth, by conquest, or by debt. Interestingly, the Bible tells us that we are enslaved to sin in each of those three ways. The Bible tells us that we are enslaved to sin by birth because of our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam. We are all um, enslaved to sin by birth. We are all enslaved to sin by conquest. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, it says that we have been captured by the devil to do his will. In 2 Peter two nineteen, it says, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So sin has come along, Satan has come along, and he has overcome us, Scripture says, and enslaved us by conquest. And then thirdly, by debt, That's why it says in Colossians 2.14 that when Jesus came, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us. So in every way that they were enslaved in the Roman Empire, you and I are enslaved as well by birth, by conquest by debt we are all enslaved and so the apostle Paul writes in Romans seven twenty four to 25 wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death I am trapped in slavery to sin and the answer is of course Jesus Christ because when Jesus came it says in Mark ten forty five. for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to what to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus' death on the cross paid the ransom debt that you owe for your sins when he died on the cross. He set us free from our debt to slavery. Jesus conquered our captor. In Colossians 2.15 it says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame. He adopted us into his family. Listen to Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 7. When we were children we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's who we are. We are redeemed bodies, purchased by God, adopted into His family, and so as the sermon series go, we are created bodies, we are broken bodies. That's true of everyone. But I suppose I was a bit presumptuous in naming the third sermon, we are redeemed bodies. Because you can only claim that if you have been redeemed. And there are those of us, perhaps in the room and certainly in our lives, who refuse to accept that label, right? There are people who are saying, no, I'm not, I'm not a slave to sin. No, 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 I've, I've got it under control. I can, I can deal with this. I can fix it physically. I can fix it mentally. I can fix it spiritually. I am not enslaved to anyone or anything. But if that's your position, then you haven't been redeemed by God because you haven't admitted the fact that you are enslaved to sin. And until you can admit the fact that you are in fact enslaved to sin, then you're never going to accept his payment to set you free from your slavery. Others will hear this good news And they'll respond to it and say, well, wonderful. I've been adopted into God's family. I've been redeemed. That means I can do whatever I want the rest of my life. I can do anything I want with my body. And we would say to that, oh, God forbid, because you, God forbid you should, as Paul has already said in 1 Corinthians 6, God forbid you would take his body and unite it with a prostitute. No, like... If that's your position, if you can respond to the good news that you've been redeemed, that he purchased you, that he died for you, that he gave his Holy Spirit to live within you, and your response to that is I can do whatever I want with this body now, then I would argue I'm not sure if you have been redeemed. Or I'm not sure, maybe you need a reminder of what it means to be redeemed. But it's certainly a word of caution if that's your response to the good news of Jesus Christ redeeming your body. As we finish, we do want to just highlight the fact that he also says that your body is a temple. I think what Paul is doing there is he's saying, okay, your, your body is not your own. You are bought with a price. It's good news. To what end? Well, what's the point, Paul? And Paul would say, oh, here's the point. You are a temple. Your body is now a temple. And so temples are a sacred space, I don't have to elaborate. I don't have the time to elaborate from Scripture about how sacred the temple was in the Scriptures. I don't need to because you and I both know temples are sacred spaces. So a very easy application of this passage is to simply say, like, treat your body as a temple. It's a sacred space. So don't abuse it with drugs and alcohol. That's low-hanging fruit, though, isn't it? But be careful about what you put into it and be careful what you do with it. Be careful how you eat. Be careful how you sleep. Be careful how you exercise. Be a good steward of the temple to which you have been given because they are sacred places. Take care of it. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But secondly, temples serve the purpose in society. It's a place where people gather, whether it's a Christian temple or a Baha'i temple, right? It's a place where people gather to to meet with the God or to uh, enjoy the God or to promote the God in the society. And in the same sense, your body is a temple. It is a place in which you meet with and enjoy God. That's why he gave you to eyes to see, so that you would meet with him and enjoy him, in your temple, as you see the beauty of his creation, as you read His word with your eyes. That's why he gave you ears so that you could hear his truth sung, so you could hear his truth read. It's so that you could hear a baby cry, it's so that you could hear your friend share. It's why he gave you feet to go and spread the good news. It's also why he gave you feet to walk a well-worn path through the forest and with your eyes see his beauty and with his ears hear the birds. It's because this body is your temple and in it you meet with God and you enjoy God and you use your hands in worship to raise them or you use your hands in worship to pray or you fall to your knees or you extend your hand to a friend. Your body is a temple and it is the tool that we have to meet with God and enjoy God. Use your mind, use your lungs, we could just keep going. But you get the point. We meet with him and we enjoy him and we promote him. And what I mean by promote him is I've been to a a number of temples in my life. I've been to a Baha'i temple. I've been into a Muslim uh, um, mosque. I've been into Jewish temples, I've been into Christian cathedrals, I've been into Eastern religious temple spaces. And in each one, when I walked in the door into that temple, I went into that temple so that I could understand what it is, that who this God is. That's why I went in. Because that's what the temples do. They promote that God to society. And in the same way, your body's a temple, and this gives you a sense of purpose. You are now representative of God. And that should affect what you do with your hands and what you do with your feet and with every one of your body parts. You are now a representative of God. It's how people understand who God is. It's through your temple. And so that is a glorious calling. It is also a sobering calling because you need to be really careful about how you are representing God, shouldn't you? But you also have a glorious calling to demonstrate God even out there in the mundane, ordinary spaces of life. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. We are redeemed bodies. We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. This is really good news. I'm going to close with this reading from this book. It's called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, written by Sam Albury. It's been influential in this series. He writes this. A friend of mine was sold into sex slavery as a young woman. It was a period that left many physical and non-physical scars. It taught her to detach herself from her body. It was no longer hers. She said, my body never belonged to me anyways. Everybody always took it. She eventually was able to escape and start a new life. During the course of it all, she became a Christian. And now these words from the Bible have become precious to her. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. They had been true in an awful, dehumanizing sense, and now these words were true in a life-giving and supremely dignifying sense. It is such good news that I am not my own and that I was bought with a price. That brings such, human, such dignity to me. It brings such sense of purpose to me. It should fill me with life and give me a mission to live out in this world as his temple. Let's pray.